You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We hear God's Word this morning in the Old and New Testaments. First in Isaiah 40 and then in Revelation 12 before we turn to our text in the Song of Songs chapter 3. We turn first then to Isaiah chapter 40 and read the verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. Continue reading in the New Testament, in the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to John, Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Finally, we turn to our text in the Song of Songs, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is the word that is preached to you. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, weddings are extravagant celebrations. Just ask those who have recently married or soon will be married and their families. Months of planning are invested into a one-day celebration. Years of dreams make the wedding day, even though it's just one single day, a day of high expectations. Great expense is poured into the preparations and celebrations. Careful attention and planning is devoted to even the smallest details. Sometimes you sense the nagging doubt, especially among the male population, whether it's worth all the trouble and expense. Viewed from the perspective of Holy Scripture, though, and in particular the Song of Songs, all such doubts are quickly removed. From our text, it is clear 
that if there's any ceremony and event that certainly is worth extravagance and extra planning, it's a wedding. But the fact of the matter is that there is no earthly relationship of greater significance than the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And there is no more beautiful a picture of God's love for His church. Christ is the King. And the church is His bride. Our text is the poem, the song of the King's wedding. A wedding of extravagant grace. There's no doubt when you read this part of Solomon's song that extravagant preparations have been made for the wedding that is described. In the beginning of the Song of Songs, you have the courtship leading up to the marriage. There's no doubt here in our text that the wedding is taking place now. So, extravagant Preparations have been made for the wedding that is described. Extravagant smells and sights and sounds. Extravagant clothing and jewelry. Extravagant carriages and pageantry. It's all evidence of extravagant preparations. And look at the extravagant procession. There's Solomon's luxurious carriage described in detail in the verses 9 and 10, which we will look at more closely later. And this carriage is escorted by soldiers. In this procession, we see the groom. And the groom is King Solomon himself, as verse 11 tells us. King Solomon wearing his crown. And at the head of the procession is something like a column of smoke. Verse 6. And it's not just an ordinary column of smoke, but one that fills the air with the sweet aroma of myrrh and incense. And this is all conveyed to us in extravagant poetry. There's no question about it when we read the Song of Songs. There's some masterful poetry going on here. If you're going to do poetry, and you really should, use this poem. You can't go wrong. God Himself has endorsed it. He has written it by His Holy Spirit. Pull out your paper and pen, men and boys. Ladies and girls, the texting and tweeting can wait. Do some poetry. Don't be shy. And don't mind the sweat. The love that God teaches is extravagant. And it deserves extravagant poetry. They didn't have cameras back in Solomon's day. But let's not think that they didn't know how to make pictures. They sure did. They even knew how to make movies back then. How? With words. They used words. 
to make movies. They made pictures. They made extravagant pictures with words. Even with all the technology that we have at our fingertips, whose marriage has ever been so artistically documented and richly portrayed as here in the Song of Songs? Brothers and sisters, as we read the words of this poem attentively, we're brought to the edge of our seats. We're drawn into the drama, the wonder, the magic of this wedding. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? Verse 6. Who's the bride? We ask. And look at the parade of soldiers. Hey, check out the king's car. Who can look away? This all tells us something, doesn't it, brothers and sisters, about the power of the Word. We live in a world and time in which we are saturated with eye-capturing images and restless, moving pictures. It's not all bad. But sometimes we have a hard time discovering the good under all the other trivia and trash that is thrown at us. When we read the poetry here, however, and let it sink in, we have a more vivid and glorious picture than could ever be shot by even the best of cameras. And this is what can be said of all of God's Word. Can't it? This is true of every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Remember what it says in Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is living and active. Grass withers and the flowers fall as we read. Photographs fade. Videos get old. Also the ones from weddings. Even the best ones. But the Word of our God stands forever. God's Word continues to exercise its power and influence everywhere and always. God's Word stands and never fails. His Word is firmly established in the heavens. Let's take a moment to list some of the things that God's Word pictures before us with living words, with moving words, as it were. The creation of the heavens and the earth as described for us in Genesis. When we read it, we get a sense of, of how extraordinary and how breathtaking it was. Then there's the rainbow over Noah and his family. You remember the burning bush in front of Moses. You remember the deadly plagues in Egypt. What a motion picture the Bible provides for us there. Bloody water and leaping frogs. Armies of locusts and swarms of flies. God miraculously clearing a path of dry ground right through the middle of the Red Sea. Tribes and families. Adults and little ones rushing across to the other side. Pharaoh and his chariots, horses and horsemen, 
sinking to the bottom of the Red Sea and being washed to the far shore. Then there's the thunder and lightning, the billowing smoke and and the trembling mountain at Sinai. David's lyres and choirs in Jerusalem, we can hear them. David's, Solomon's temple and palaces. We can just imagine being there, taking in all the sights and sounds. We haven't even mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den. Baby Jesus in the manger, suffering Jesus on the cross, victorious Jesus ascending into heaven, reigning King Jesus, sending His Holy Spirit on Pentecost and causing tongues as of fire to rest on His disciples. See, brothers and sisters, when we listen to God's Word by faith, all our God-created senses are marshaled by God's mighty Spirit so that it's almost as if we've been there. Seeing and hearing, smelling and feeling and experiencing all these things as they happened. And even though we have no way of knowing all the details of those events, we certainly know how extraordinary and significant and dramatic They were. And we worship God. And it's all in the Word. God describes it all to us in words and fulfills it all for us in the Word who became flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we never forget the power of the Word. Especially as that has been manifested and made flesh, made human in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us all be taken in by God's extravagant poetry, the glorious Gospel, May it take hold of us. May the Holy Spirit, the author of this Song of Songs, this best of songs, do His mighty work in us and through us. Getting back to our text then, the poet provides a vivid motion picture for us here. In verse 6, we see a wedding procession coming up out of the desert. And this procession is kicking up dust. After all, this procession is coming up out of the dry, dusty desert. And once the dust settles, everyone sees what it is. The beginning of verse 7. Look, it's Solomon's carriage. Everyone recognizes once the dust has settled, They recognized Solomon's carriage. The one Solomon had built for himself. His car. Solomon had the finest engineers and craftsmen on the job to build his carriage, which was a litter, not 
like our cars, of course, but it was a litter and closed, carried along on the shoulders of men by means of poles, like the gondolas you see in pictures of Venice, for example. And this carriage was made of the cedars of Lebanon, we're told in verse 9. The sturdiest and most lovely smelling wood, cedars of Lebanon. The interior had been done up by the most skilled interior designers among the women of Jerusalem. That's what we see in verse 9 and 10. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. And this carriage is surrounded by 60 soldiers. We're told in verse 7. We could call them the elite forces. The noblest of Israel. Look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors. The noblest of Israel. And this is the royal bodyguard of the king. This royal bodyguard provides day and night protection. No need for on-star or roadside assistance of any sort here. As the king and his bride travel through the desert, they're safe. The soldiers who make up this bodyguard are battle-trained and ready. Verse 8, All of them, all of these soldiers wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. What is this procession all about? Well, again, it's the wedding day. Solomon has gone to pick up his bride at her home across the desert and is bringing her into his palace in Jerusalem. Now, we need to remember, this is poetry. This is not necessarily an historical event that is being described here. What is clear and what is significant is that in the poem, it's the king's wedding day. And the king has gone across the desert to bring his bride to Jerusalem. A royal wedding is about to take place. Every detail has been attended to and no cost has been spared by King Solomon. From the language that's used, it's pretty clear that the the poet doesn't just want us to be thinking about King Solomon and his bride, though. He wants us to be thinking about the King of Israel, the Lord God, whom Solomon represents, and his bride, that is, the people of Israel. You see? Here we have a picture of God bringing His people up out of the desert, up to His dwelling place in Jerusalem. Like we read in Isaiah 40. It simply cannot be pure coincidence that the poet compares the dust kicked up by the wedding procession to 
a column of smoke. As Bible readers, we're familiar with that column of smoke, aren't we? That's a picture of God traveling through the desert with His people in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire during those 40 years from Egypt to Canaan. These are wedding pictures, all right. They're wedding pictures of God the King in wedding procession taking His bride away from her old home, the house of slavery, and into His home, the promised land. Just as in the text, verse 11, the daughters of Zion are told to come out and see the arrival of King Solomon. Likewise, in Isaiah 40, verse 9, the messengers of Jerusalem are told, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Look who's coming. This is the one wedding you don't want to miss. And it is a wedding of extravagant grace. God bringing His people out of the land of slavery into the promised land. Besides the extravagant preparations and procession, poetry and pictures, there's the extravagant protection, which we've already alluded to. We have that described to us in the verses 7 and 8. Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side prepared for the terrors of the night. As Solomon brings his bride through the desert, he surrounds her with the protection of his elite forces, his royal bodyguard. What is this a picture of? Well, this is the picture of God protecting His people from their marauders in the desert during their 40-year journey from Egypt to Canaan. You remember how God's people were threatened during their desert journey by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, by Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. Well, God had His army of angels, His elite forces, His royal bodyguard looking after His bride, His people. He commanded His angels concerning them to guard them in all their ways. In the words of Psalm 91. See what God does for His bride, the church. He protects her. This is a picture that emerges in Revelation 12 too, which we read. There we have a picture of the dragon, Satan, the devil trying to attack and hurt and snatch away Christ's bride, the church. But then what happens? God comes to the rescue. And we're told there that the dragon, so enraged by his failure, makes war against her offspring, against her children. Who is that? It's you and me. All the church. 
But God comes to our, our rescue too. That's what God, the, the king groom, does for his bride, the church. Now, this sort of divine protectiveness is what ought to characterize the men and boys of the church. Men and boys. We are called to be strong protectors and courageous soldiers. That also needs to determine our attitudes and actions towards women and girls, especially our wives and daughters and sisters. And also, for that matter, toward every other girl and woman that God has made. Are we as men and boys, determined to make the church and the world a safe place for women and girls? Do our wives and daughters, our sisters and girlfriends, have reason and confidence that they are safe around us rather than insecure and afraid? Let us consider these things, brothers. It's not just a matter of, of good manners and chivalry to be a Christian man or a Christian boy. By God, we are given the sacred charge to be defenders and protectors and to instill a deep sense of security and confidence in the women and girls around us. Now notice all the sights, sounds, and smells in this portion of the song. There's myrrh and incense. There's cedars. There's smoke. What what do all these things remind you of if you stop and consider them for a moment? Myrrh and incense. Cedars. Smoke. What do they remind you of? The temple. Remember the myrrh and incense that was always billowing up day and night in the temple. Then there, there were the cedars of Lebanon, the high quality, lovely smelling materials that were used to build the temple. That's what Solomon's carriage was made of. Surely these connections with the temple wouldn't have been lost on the first readers of this poem. They had these things in their lives. They smelled them. They saw them. They touched them. There's also the silver, the gold, and purple that remind us of the temple furnishings, the temple decor and utensils. The interior of the carriage was lovingly decorated by the daughters of Jerusalem, just as the interior of the temple was carefully and skillfully decorated by trained artisans and craftsmen. The carriage also reminds us of the Ark of the Covenant. The vehicle, so to speak, in which God traveled with His bride through the desert. You remember how the Ark was always there 
leading God's people through the desert. Carrying God's people through the desert, as it were. As God traveled with His people through the desert, He gave them the constant reminder with the ark of His mercy, grace, and forgiveness. In the words of Isaiah 40, He proclaimed to her that her hard service in Egypt was over and that her sin had been paid for. But there's more to this moving picture. For as we turn to the New Testament, we have to see the Song of Songs 2 in the context of the New Testament. And as we turn to the New Testament, we discover that the groom in the song is Christ. And He's the one taking the bride, His church, up out of the wilderness. And He too kicks up dust with His coming. As we turn to the New Testament, the dust we now see being kicked up is the dust of the earth upon Christ's arrival as He leads His bride, the church, up out of the desert and into His eternal kingdom. Our text then is really a picture of the incarnation, the coming in the flesh of the Son of God. There's something slightly different in this New Testament motion picture though. Vicious attacks are launched against this bride and groom too by Satan, the world, and the flesh. But there's a difference. For 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus must single-handedly face off with Satan. And at the most intense point of His suffering near the end of His life, there are no elite forces at Jesus' side. Even His closest and most loyal defenders, the Twelve, all flee. Jesus the King is left alone. He's assaulted and beaten. He's wearing a crown alright, but it is a crown of thorns. Then He's crucified and left for dead. Three days later, however, the crown of thorns is replaced with the crown of life. And that's the picture that's transposed onto verse 11. Jesus Christ wearing the crown of life, the crown of glory. Jesus risen. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Jesus wearing the crown, the crown of life, the crown of eternal life. Just as Solomon himself went to get his bride and bring her out of the wilderness, so God Himself went to get Israel out of Egypt. And so Christ Himself came to the earth to set His church free and bring her home into His kingdom. Though Solomon failed as a husband, and we all know that, don't we? Solomon made a poor husband. Yet, God in Christ never 
fills His bride. In full view of the world, with extravagant pomp, God kicks up the dust and lets everyone know that He's doing something big and beautiful and unstoppable for His bride, the church. And He spares no expense. He pays the costly price of His very own blood to make it all possible. And He protects us along the way. Brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by threats. The world isn't a safe place. There are threats to our health, physical, emotional. There's sickness. There's pain. There are threats against our souls. Unbelief. Doubt. There are sworn enemies of our own flesh, Satan, and the world. And then there are the threats against the church. Unfaithfulness and compromise, division and sectarianism. But then, let's not forget God's promise. His extravagant promise. His extravagant promise, which is this, also from Psalm 91. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Yes, this is your God, brothers and sisters. The God of extravagant grace in Jesus Christ. This is your God who has come to rescue you. This is your God who by His Word and Spirit instills faith and trust and confidence in your hearts in the middle of a threatening and dangerous and dark world. May our marriages and our courtships, all our relationships and friendships be shaped and transformed by this our God into havens of safety and confidence, joy and peace. Who is this coming up from the desert? This same question is asked again later. In chapter 8, verse 5. But then, in a slightly different way. Chapter 8, verse 5. Who is this coming up from the desert leaning on her lover? Who is it? It's Christ. And who's leaning on Christ? It's His bride. The church. And he's bringing her to his banquet hall for the great wedding feast he has prepared. He's bringing her to her permanent home, his kingdom, to be with him forever. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't you agree? That's extravagant in every way. Don't miss 
out. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.